Zero to $1 million, how to become a wildly successful law firm guide. By Nermeen Jasani Esquire, managing partner, We Are Wildly Successful, LLC. Author's note, January 2023. Hello, fellow law firm owner. My name is Nermeen Jasani. I'm a New York State licensed attorney and current law firm strategist. I went from in-house counsel to running my law firm where I advised nine-figure hedge funds. I burned down my law practice and moved over to consulting because solving business problems for law firm owners makes me happy. I've worked with boatloads of attorneys and my favorite spot is working with small and solo law firms from 250,000 to 1 million in revenue. I've worked with larger firms, 20 partners and 100 plus employees but I prefer and love working with small firms, small and mighty. I'm so excited you got this guide. It's full of important strategy and tactical advice for your law firm. I created this to support those small law firm owners who are incredibly talented and highly skeptical. You know the thoughts. She doesn't know what she's talking about. I can't trust anyone whose name I can't pronounce. What's a consultant anyway? I get your skepticism because law school trained us to be skeptical and poke holes. I hope this guide helps you, and maybe, just maybe, you can trust me a little bit. To your wild success, Nermeen Jasani. How to use this guide. This book is a guide. It's intended to help you, but please remember, this isn't a strategy session with me one-on-one or advice tailored to your law firm. This is general advice based on frequently asked questions I get from law firm owners. I'm 99% certain that I've answered at least one question you have about your law firm. I'm 95% certain that I've answered at least one question about how you should grow your law firm. Use this guide as a stepping stone, but it does not replace hiring a consultant. This book has five sections based on law firm revenue, how much you make in your firm, not how much you keep, I didn't define the sections based on the years you have been in practice, your practice area, or years you've been a law firm owner. I've learned that the cornerstone of strategy when growing your law firm is understanding your current revenue and then staking a higher revenue goal for your practice. The five revenue sections in this guide are one, zero to 100,000, two, 100,000 to 250,000, three, 250,000 to 500,000, four, 500,000 to a million, and five, one million plus. I chose these revenue sections strategically because these represent the standard deviations of most small and solo practice owners. Each revenue section is one standard deviation apart from the next highest level. These revenue ranges are the most common and easily achievable when growing your law firm. The questions on each revenue level are based on my experience with law firm owners. These are fundamental questions my clients have asked me. These are real solutions and real situations that we resolved strategically. These are the real challenges law firm owners face at these revenue stages. Within each revenue range are the most common problems and solutions to that problem. At each revenue stage, the problems can be grouped into the following categories. People, process, pricing, and services. 
For example, the people problems for a law firm owner making 250,000 gross revenue each year are very different from those for a law firm owner making 25 million. At 250,000, you might be looking to bring on a full-time paralegal or maybe even a part-time associate. At 25 million, you are dealing with culture, KPIs, values, partner revenue generation and compensation models, and recruiting top talent. Same problem, just a slightly different approach to solving that problem. The heart of all strategic advice is based on solid business fundamentals, some of which are don't hire without three months salary, don't hire someone who's not the right culture fit, don't pay too much so that you eliminate your profit, don't pay so tiny that you're working with newbies. Many of these questions are derived from mistakes I have seen law firm owners making, like spending too much on marketing or not understanding who their clients should be. I encourage you to read this guide with an open mind. It's not an attack on you or how you run your law firm. Instead, it's based on foundational business principles that I understand you didn't learn in law school, because why would you? It doesn't have to do with torts or criminal intent. That said, may the force be with you and may you be wildly successful. Zero to 100,000. Your first two years of law firm ownership will be the worst and there's nothing anyone can do to make it better. You heard it first here. After your first two years, you'll be okay. But the first two years, no matter how much you are making, will suck. My recommendation is to have an amazing support team around you, wife, husband, family, kids, friends, a therapist, and a really, really big bottle of whiskey or vodka. Question one, how do I maximize my build hours? Time worked is not time build. This is your new mantra. I see new law firm owners who will work eight hours, sit at their desk at 9 a.m. and work through lunch and clock out at 5 p.m. And when they do, they look at the time that they worked. They only build two hours. This is normal. Don't freak out. Don't beat yourself up. When you're starting, every hour worked will feel like seven. And you will wonder why you're not making more money. Remember, this is a marathon, not a sprint. The first few miles will be the most painful and you'll get the hang of things as you shift into a flow state. You will get more experience as a law firm owner, and when you do, your daily billable hours will get closer to five, four to five hours. This is the goal, not eight hours. You're not in big law or at someone else's law firm. 25 hours each week is the goal. Remember, you'll work 40 hours, you'll bill 25. Next question. I don't want to charge too much. I'm just starting out. What do I charge? Please repeat after me. I will not charge too little. I will not base my hourly rate on someone else's rate. I will not say I'm a big law trained attorney without the big law rates. I will not say I'm a big city lawyer charging country rates. Now that we've got that out of the way, here's why. You will end up with price-sensitive clients, and you don't want to negotiate your rate constantly 
if you start charging too little, like 200 an hour, you'll stay there forever. You'll never be able to adjust your rates higher. Worse, you'll have conditioned your clients into thinking you're a cheap lawyer. Your rate is strategic and signals to your client that you are a Mercedes, fast, luxurious, and worth every penny. Don't be a beat up 2001 Chrysler PT Cruiser, slow, and makes you wonder when it will fall apart. If you're nervous, start out charging more. You can always reduce your rate, such as telling a client that because of their particular situation, you will lower your rate from 350 to 300. This might seem sleazy, but it's the lesser of two evils. Going from $300 to $350 in a 30-minute consult? Not going to happen. As a rule of thumb, you should always increase your rates every single year you are in practice, either at the beginning of each year or in June, mid-year. Every single year. Not every two years. Not every third year. Every single year. Next question. I don't have clients. Where do I get my first and 20th client? Your first 20 clients will all be word of mouth, people who know you and people who know of you. It could be friends and family. It could be other attorneys. It's all about your network when making your first 100K. Go on LinkedIn and reach out to past colleagues and contacts. Post on there and let people know that you have a law firm. Post regularly two times each week. Go on Facebook and send one-to-one messages to the people who know you. Send emails to people who should know that you have a law firm. This includes your friends, family, neighbors, church, community, soccer friends, other parents, local bar, nail salon, doctor, and dentist. Don't be embarrassed and don't be shy. People want to help you and it's okay to ask for help. The worst thing you can do is go 100% digital marketing with social media and SEO, hoping it brings in clients. You'll end up spending way more money than you can bring in. Don't start your law firm by being in the hole 10K. Start with free, AKA your network. My first 30 clients came from my network. A friend introduced me to a retired EY partner. I talked to that partner for an hour and she introduced me to her lawyer friend. That lawyer friend became my first legal client and is a repeat client and has sent me 15 other lawyer clients. Don't doubt the power of word of mouth and your network. My network is worth millions and has significantly contributed to my net worth. Be careful, don't do cold messages. Only reach out to the people who know you first. Then when you've reached out to everyone you know, you can connect with strangers on the internet. Harsh reality, this will be the phase where you work with clients you hate. You won't be able to exercise discretion with whom you work. If they can pay your regular, not discounted hourly rate, you've got to work with them until you consistently make 10K gross revenue each month. Next question. 
I think I need to spend more money on marketing, but what should I spend it on? If you're starting, keep it bare bones. A basic $2,000 website, nothing more, no SEO, no billboard, sorry, no social media manager, no $2,000 logo, no fancy business cards, go to moo.com, go to Fiverr, go to Upwork, search on Google for a simple website for lawyers. Don't let these marketing people talk you into something you don't need. I highly recommend you join a networking group that will cost you $500 to $2,000 for the year. You get what you pay for. Choose your networking group carefully. Confirm that they don't meet more often than once a month because otherwise it can be a massive time suck. Also, join a group that allows you to participate in more than one group. If you meet the same 30 people monthly, you're not expanding your network and getting your name out there. I joined a networking group when I first started my business. They are phenomenal for getting clients and getting your name out there, e.g. brand awareness. Next question. How do I know when I'm ready to hire someone and who do I hire? No one. Seriously. No one. With your first 100K, you must be scrappy and do everything yourself. You should learn to do everything yourself because there will come a moment when you kick yourself for not knowing how to do something in your own business. File your court documents, scan and upload your files, enter your phone calls, and do your invoicing. Use YouTube, it'll be your best friend. Search how to send an invoice in law pay or how to ask for a referral, etc. Be dangerous but not the expert. Every dollar must support your basic living needs. Mortgage, car, food, gym, Netflix, etc. Start saving now to hire someone. When you have $5,000 set aside, you can hire a part-time VA or paralegal, but not before then because it will affect your cash flow. Get your cash flow stabilized, save some money, then hire help. Until then, you'll be a DIYer in every part of your business. Final question. Anything else, Jermaine? Yes, start embracing technology. I'm including platforms that I use below. If you click on the underlined text, that is a link to the program mentioned. Let's get started, shall we? You need a calendar, Google Calendar, color code your week, operations, client meetings, finance, business development, etc an email system, superhuman, a password manager, LastPass, a task manager, this is where you list your tasks. Consider Notion, Airtable, Asana, or Trello. There's templates to help you. Test all of them to see which one works. Best for you. Hint, Google is not a task manager. It is a document, that's it. I use Notion and set all my clients up on Notion. If you're interested, Check out Notion here. This is an affiliate link. Secure, document storage, Google Drive or Dropbox, a scheduling tool, Calendly or Acuity, invoicing and payment collection, LawPay or GoCardless or Stripe, bookkeeping, QuickBooks or Xero, consultations, Zoom. Use technology early on and it'll save you money on hiring in the future. If you're curious about tech, 
then consider getting the law firm tech manual by me. 100,000 to 250,000. Congrats, now you're starting to get the hang of this law firm ownership thing. Oh, and make sure you did everything from zero to 100K. Question one, can I hire now? Yes, now you can hire, but you still need three months of salary before hiring anyone full-time. If you're not ready for someone full-time salary-wise, commitment-wise, or training-wise, you should spend at least 90 days training this person. Then consider working with contractors. You can either hire your contractor or you can work with a contracting agency, like one that has several paralegals or contract attorneys. Again, even with contractors, please save three months of salary for the contractor before hiring them. Please note agency rates are three to five times more. If a paralegal typically charges $40 to $50 an hour, then a paralegal with an agency will charge $100 or more per hour. This will eat into your profitability, but it may be worth it if, if the person is experienced. You can pa pass the fee to your client by billing for paralegal time or work, even if you charge fixed fees. Think carefully about the role you need to be filled. Is it an attorney who can review work for you while you're doing business development, aka rainmaking? Do you need a legal assistant to help you file, make copies, and follow up with clients? Is it a paralegal who can help with legal and admin work? Don't end up hiring a paralegal when what you needed was an attorney. Don't hire an associate when you need a legal admin. Get the gist? Next question. Speaking of fees, what about my fees? Can I switch to fixed fees or should I stick to billing by the hour? Increase your rates every year. If you didn't last year, then you should now. Think about the number of years you have been in practice. Make sure your rate is a proper reflection of your years of experience and expertise. I've worked with attorneys with 20 plus years of experience in their field of law, charging the same rate as attorneys with two years of experience. What's the difference? The 20 plus year attorney lacks confidence and has no idea how to price their services strategically. I highly recommend switching to fixed fees, especially if your practice area is trademark, entertainment, business, family, ERISA, immigration, estate planning, or real estate. This list is not exhaustive. Your fixed fees should include your hourly rate times the number of hours it takes you plus 15 to 25%. For example, if a will and trust takes six hours, drafting plus client meetings, and your hourly rate is 350, then six hours of time times $350 an hour is 2100. Step two is to add 15 to 25%. If we add 15%, your fixed fee for a will and trust should be $2,415. This is the minimum you should charge. Pro tip, go through and average the time you spend drafting plus meeting with your clients over the previous five to 10 wills you've completed. It's harder to charge fixed fees for litigation work, but it's not impossible. I recommend splitting your fixed fee into phases, pre-discovery or pre-deposition. Each stage can have a different fee associated with it. For example, 
If you are a family litigation attorney, you could charge a pre-mediation, no trial, $5,000 or pre-mediation plus hearing for $8,500. If you're interested in this, reach out to me about fixed fee freedom, one of the services that I offer. Next question, what should I do to get new clients? Marketing is not free. It will either cost you time, unbilled hours, or clients you turn away, or money from marketing agencies or contractors to perform various marketing tasks for you. You will need to balance the time you spend marketing, networking events, speaking engagements, and the like, and the dollars that you spend on marketing. Your marketing strategy should look like a large pizza pie with multiple slices. Each slice represents a marketing channel with all the slices working together to generate clients. If your pie only has four slices and two stop working, you're SOL. But if you have eight slices and two stop working, you're okay. When you create your marketing strategy, it needs to be equal parts digital and traditional. Don't do 100% traditional, like networking meetings, past client contacts, speaking events. Don't do 100% digital, social media, SEO, pay-per-click. Get as close to 50-50 digital to traditional marketing as you can. Here's the rule of thumb. Do not spend more than 15% of your gross revenue on marketing. I see people spending way too much money on experiments, like Facebook ads, and it's money that ends up in the toilet. If you make $10,000 monthly in gross revenue from your law practice, your max marketing expenditure is $1,500. Capiche? No ifs and or buts. Next question. There are eight hours in a day, but I can never seem to bill for all eight hours. I'm spending so much time on admin work. How do I bill more? You remember from the previous section where I said, time worked doesn't equal time billed. You'll work eight hours, you'll bill five, then you'll stupidly readjust your invoice to four hours. Keep that in mind as you read the response below. Here are the steps for maximizing build hours. Step one, embrace technology. If you did this, then go to the next step. Step two, hire human support, paralegal, VA, admin. If you did this, then go to the next step. Step three, switch to fixed fees. You spent three years in law school plus X years in practice to be able to advise a client in, in 10 minutes. That 10 minutes cannot be able to capture your three years in law school plus your X years in practice. Doctors don't bill by the hour or in six minute increments. It's silly and it doesn't reflect your actual expertise. If that still doesn't convince you to switch to fixed fees, then let's get to the heart of your question. You shouldn't be billing for all eight hours in a day unless you are getting ready for trial or getting ready for a month long vacation. This whole bill all day thing is a big law concept because you had to bill 2,100 hours each year, meaning you're working 2,400 hours each year. You're not in big law, you're a law firm owner. If you bill 25 hours each week, you're doing great. Stop stressing, you're human, not a billing monkey.
Anything else, Nermeen? Yes, hopefully you spent time embracing technology. If you didn't, go back and listen to the previous response. Also, I want you to focus on creating your every damn month list to track your metrics in your practice. If you work on this list every month, you'll be able to get to 500,000 much faster, if that's your goal. Don't worry, I included an every damn month list for you to use. You will need to customize it for your specific needs. And when you're ready, reach out to me about automating your law firm. Harsh reality, you're probably still working with clients you don't love. At this point, you should start getting picky about who you work with. Consider creating your intake form where you ask yourself, is this client a good fit for me? No intake form? I included that too. I know, I'm fantastic, and I should have charged way more for this guide. 250,000 to 500,000. Make sure you did everything in the previous two sections. Don't skip past go. Question one, should I hire an associate? If so, where do I find one? Yes, now you can hire an associate, but only if you are okay with lowering your profitability. You keep 80 to 90% of your revenues as a solo. For example, if you make 400,000, you keep 350,000 with 87.5% profitability. 50,000 in office expenses, VA or contractor expenses, bookkeeper, etc. Once you hire an associate, you might increase your revenue to 480,000, but you'll keep 330,000 with 68.8% profitability. 60,000 in expenses, then 90,000 for your associate. Besides the lower profitability, it may still benefit you to hire someone if your life has experienced a life change, like you are a parent now, recently married, providing elder care to a loved one, or you don't wanna work 40 hours a week. Make sure you have saved up three months of that person's salary before you hire them full-time. You will need to spend 90 days training this person on how you prefer to do things, no matter how experienced they are. Don't hire and complain that they don't know how you want your agreements drafted, the font size you use, etc. 90 days of training, hands-on, one-to-one support at the beginning of their hiring cycle. Remember this. I have personally posted for jobs on LinkedIn Jobs, and I believe it is one of the best candidate pools. This is where I start my professional hiring searches. The cost is $50 to $100 for 24 to 48 hours of posting. I've found this to be sufficient time. If LinkedIn hasn't brought in enough or poor quality candidates, I go to Indeed. Another resource I have found that's a hit or a miss is Facebook groups for attorneys. You can search there and sometimes find an attorney with a paralegal looking for more work or an attorney on maternity leave who wants to do part-time immigration or other federal work. Don't be afraid to use these resources. You could work with a recruiter if you are prepared to pay 25% of the salary for your recruiting position. The only sting with this is if that person leaves after 90 days, you're out the 25% recruiter fee you paid. I know that hiring, onboarding, and training are time consuming. Do not hire when you are desperate or don't have time to hire. Onboard correctly and train. 
it's not worth it. Trust me. In summary, the steps you need before you hire an associate. Step one, financial forecast on lowered profitability. If you did this, then the next step. Step two, three months of salary for this person saved up. If you did this, then the next step. Step three, job role, description, and time to review resumes scheduled on your calendar. If you did this, the next step. Step four, choose the candidate on board and training days planned on your calendar for the first 90 days. Next question, what about marketing? Spend all your profits on marketing. Yeah, 10X your revenue. Just kidding, don't do that, it's a joke. Sometimes the strategy and advice stuff can be tedious. I'm throwing in a joke to keep you reading or listening. You should continue applying the 15% rule. 15% of your monthly gross revenue is the maximum you can spend on marketing. For example, if you apply the 15% rule, and your annual practice revenue is $250,000, your max monthly marketing budget is $3,125. That $3,125 must be split between eight pieces of the pie. Remember, the marketing pizza pie. If you're in a networking group, sending monthly newsletters, doing SEO, some pay-per-click, attorney lunches, past client gifts, a blog, and swag for new clients, your budget for these items is $3,125. Capiche? Not $3,500, not $4,200. Stay within budget. You want to evaluate all your marketing channels to make sure they are continuing to generate revenue for you. If you're spending $20,000 yearly on SEO and pay-per-click, and you only got five good clients who collectively generated $12,000 for your law practice, then SEO and pay-per-click is not a good investment for your firm. Why? Because you spent $20,000 and only made $12,000. Simple math. Stop spending money where you're not at least making a dollar for each dollar you spend. When you break up with your marketing company, They'll sweet talk you into staying. We'll lower your rate to $1,000 for three months, or we'll increase your pay-per-click words. Don't buy into it. They're salespeople. Their job is to sell you into staying. At this stage of revenue, you still want word of mouth referrals. You also want to automate certain marketing pieces. Consider doing a monthly newsletter to your past clients, consults you've had, and referral partners. This is where most law firm owners get stuck. They don't know what to say and get in their heads about it. Don't worry, I have a lawyer template club I'm releasing soon. Email me if you want it. The steps here for marketing. Step one, 15% rule. Step two, eight marketing channels marketing pizza. Step three, digital and traditional marketing elements. Step four, $1 spent on marketing equals $1 generated in your practice. If not, cancel the marketing channel. Step five, don't get suckered in by shiny objects or silver bullets. It doesn't exist. Next question. 
I really don't want to work with more clients. I'm starting to get burnt out. Plus, they're all annoying me. What do I do? You want to do two things. Number one, you want to increase your rates. This will help eliminate some of your vampire clients, the ones who take all of your energy, complain endlessly, and never pay you on time. Number two, do a client analysis. Too often, I see attorneys practicing door law. They take anyone who walks in the door. They end up working with the wrong clients or the wrong kinds of cases. And that's what causes burnout and exhaustion. It's not working a lot. On a personal note, this is why I stopped working with male attorneys. They were too difficult, ignored my advice, and were combative when I was on their side. Once I did my client analysis and realized that my male attorney clients were annoying me, I stopped working with them, focused on women-led and women-owned law firms. A game changer for me. You don't want to hire a junior attorney and throw all your work on them. Morally, it's unfair. Ethically, you're obligated to review their work. This isn't solving the problem. Also, did you automate those pesky admin tasks in your law firm? If not, consider working with me for Automate Your Law Firm. If you did, then consider working with me for getting better clients. Next question. Do I hire a consultant now or join one of those weird cult-like programs? This stage of revenue is all about refining before you grow. If you end up with shitty habits or shitty employees or shitty clients, it's hard to shed that as you get bigger. You don't want one bad seed to infect the rest. A consultant can help you refine, so can a coach. Law firm management programs, I'm against all of them. All of them. They're sold as one-to-one -one support, but they're group programs with a consultant who isn't a true strategist and is reading off a script. I know because I know, quote, consultants, end quote, who work with law firm management programs. I know many attorneys who benefit from these programs. I know even more who don't. The truth is you're finally working on your business. So anything is going to help you grow your revenue. It's tempting, I know. I think the most significant benefit is the community. Attorneys helping each other, sharing, and more than anything else, commiserating with each other. Side note, one of the many things I've learned from having my firm and working with attorneys is that we're built to complain. We'll say, this is an excellent problem to have, but that doesn't stop us from complaining. I'd much prefer you hire someone for one-to-one -one consulting or coaching. If you are considering hiring a consultant or coach, the monthly expense should not exceed 10% of your gross monthly law firm revenue. This is the 10% rule. If your law firm consistently generates $30,000 monthly, then the max you can invest into a coach or consultant is $3,000 each month. Consultants, coaches, and cult-like law firm management programs are natural salespeople. They will say anything and everything to sell you into working with them. They'll tell you you should hire them because their expertise will get you to the next level. They have objection scripts they will read off to you depending on what your objection is. I need to ask my partner. I need to ask my accountant. 
I don't have time for this. I'm not sure I'm experienced enough. Let me get back to you after this trial. Put your skeptical lawyer hat on and poke the holes. Don't let them sell you into something that's not right for you. Next question. I haven't taken the plunge from hourly billing to fixed fees. I'm worried that I'll leave money on the table. If I had a dollar for every time a law firm owner said, I'm leaving money on the table, I'd own a yacht. You're not leaving money, trust me. Remember what I said before, this stage of your law firm growth is all about refining. This is one of the things you'll need to refine, how you charge and how you get paid. There's a section in this book called Motion for Summary Judgment on Billing by the Hour. Read it, understand why I'm anti-hourly billing. Then consider working with me on fixed fee freedom. Next question, what other advice do you have for me? It's an excellent time to check in on your growth goals and what wildly successful means to you. This is where most people realize $1 million is within reach without being aware of the true sacrifice it takes to get there. This is also where other sharks come sniffing. They want you to join their practice with your energy and client base. They'll present a fantastic offer and opportunity. They'll show you all the bells and whistles. Community, you don't have to work alone. Other attorneys you can bounce ideas off of. Systems, an entire accounting, hiring, and marketing department. Don't be fooled. They're the equivalent of an unmarked white van luring kids in with ice cream and candy. You'll be tempted. You'll talk with other attorneys about this. You'll look into their business and speak to other associates in the practice. You'll talk to your friends, family, and significant other about it. You'll want to work through the logistics with a coach or hire someone to help you evaluate this opportunity. Let me save you $5,000. Don't. Don't join another firm. Don't merge. Please don't do it. I have lawyers asking me about this all the time. It never works. The main reason is this. It's not a good cultural fit. You've been working as a solo slash small firm for quite some time. You've gone from $0 to buying your first luxury car to a mortgage. You've learned a lot as a small and solo firm owner. You've also developed your way of doing things, tricks, methodology, and preferences. You're now an old dog and you cannot learn the tricks of a new law firm partnership, new programs, new systems, or new ways of doing things. If you got here, trust me, you don't need anyone else. P.S. I've met several law firm owners who publicly said that their merger was a great idea but whispered to me they were leaving and figuring out their exit strategy. I've known before other people have known it wasn't working. And six months later, that attorney now has a practice in a new city. 500,000 to 1 million. 
this will be the most challenging phase and I've seen people stuck here for years and sometimes decades. It's more of a mental challenge. Can I do this? Am I good enough to do this? Your thoughts will be swimming in imposter syndrome. That's what you'll want to look out for. Business model. By now, you should know the law firm model that 93% of law firms try to adopt. It's not only law firms, it's most service-based businesses, accountants, consultants, etc. The law firm owner or owners or name partners generate 60 to 70% of their revenue from associates. Why am I talking about business models at the 500,000 to 1 million level? Because before this threshold, most lawyers still feel like they're hustling for their next client. They're too in the weeds of the business to be able to get outside of it to think about business models. But this is also a big step for growth, placing yourself in the right business model. My clients usually take a quiz based on their personality, skill set, and practice area. It's developed in-house and not available publicly. How they respond to these questions determines the business model we build their practice around. The big law model, aka rainmaker model. For example, suppose a law firm owner is the rainmaker or the queen of the business development and has landed important relationships with a few general counsels of Fortune 500s and couldn't maximize the hours billed based on the work received. In that case, they hire associates to do the work, bill, and generate revenue. Here's how the math breaks down. You have a law firm owner who brings in the relationship, keeps 500,000 in profit, and pays each associate 100,000. Let's be honest, most associates who are not in big law are happy with 100,000. If each associate bills 130 hours each month, or 32.5 hours billed each week, and you bill their time at 300 per hour, then each associate generates 468,000 in revenue for you. Even after paying that associate, the law firm owner has $368,000 from one associate. If we include other expenses like office, phone, technology, malpractice, etc., it's feasible for a law firm owner to profit $300,000 from each associate. As a law firm owner, if you have the relationships and are going to hire associates, then that gives you $900,000 in profits with only three associates. Welcome to the big law model and the model that most firms try to adapt. The law firm owner isn't practicing law as much as they are running the business as a CEO. The law firm owner may bill a few hours, but it's tiny compared to the associates. This model has several assumptions that highlight the problems with it. Assumption number one, as the law firm owner, you have relationships that generate at least 1,500 hours of billable work per year per associate. Assumption number two, the work will not ebb and flow. Assumption number three, the clients you work for are not insurance companies. If they are insurance companies, then it's well known that they pay a fraction of your billable hourly rate. Assumption number four, this model is diff difficult to implement with family, estate planning, and other practice areas. Assumption number five, finding associates is challenging if your practice area is highly specialized, like patent prosecution. Most will work in big law and you'll be hard pressed to find associates who are specialized and want to work in a small practice. I know this is the model that most law firm management programs force their clients into. 
this is not the only model and it's not the right model for every practice area as I pointed out above. The specialized law firm model. The specialized model has been adopted successfully for several solo law firm owners and the practice areas can vary. The one thing true for this solo model is that the law firm owner is both a rainmaker and a doer. This applies to a tiny subset of law firm owners and you should err on the side of caution and assume that you are not in a highly specialized field. This model is best suited for patent attorneys who have specialized degrees in chemical engineering, biology, chemistry, etc. I've also seen this model work for serious personal injury attorneys who don't work on volume and work on specialization in one subset of medical or personal injury. Number two, entertainment attorneys who have built their portfolio of clients to include B and C level celebrities and well-known Fortune 500 companies. Number three, cannabis or another newly emerging field of law that the attorney happened to be at the forefront of. Number four, ERISA attorneys and sometimes tax attorneys. It's important to remember that highly specialized is not high volume. Highly specialized means higher billable hourly rates. It means charging 400 to 600 an hour minimum. You are being paid for your specialization. This also means you bill fewer hours. The high volume model. This is where most law firm owners end up. They attempt the big law model, fail, and then end up in high volume territory. You're not charging rates that reflect your specialization. You're competing with other firms, so you try to stand out by reducing your rates, and you end up in a high volume, low hourly rate situation. If you're thinking, well, I charge 10 to 20% more than other firms do. I understand that numerically, but that's only one number. You may also tell me you only work with high net worth individuals who make $1 million. I understand this too. However, when we look at the number of clients you have each year, you end up in high volume land. Non-specialized personal injury attorneys, slip and falls, car accidents, etc. Business attorneys, employment attorneys, criminal law attorneys, bankruptcy attorneys, immigration attorneys, family attorneys, estate planning attorneys, real estate attorneys, and mediators usually end up in this model. Your hourly rate, regardless of what city your practice is in, ranges between $250 to $350 an hour. You have some associates, a few support staff, and attorneys who are billing around 15 to 20 hours each week. You also negotiate your bills with your clients and are known for discounting your fees. There's nothing wrong with this high volume model. You should know this is your model and own it. In this example, the thing to be mindful of is profitability. 
High volume means high support, and increased support means higher expenses and lower profitability for you as the law firm owner. Here's a numbers breakdown. From the top, let's say you're generating 600,000 in revenue each year, which is 40 hours billed each week by you plus two associates at 300 an hour. Of that, you have employee expenses of 300,000, an associate at 100, another at 80, a paralegal, and two support staff of 120. From there, you have operating expenses of 150,000, which includes marketing expenses of 5,000 each month. Pre-tax, you as a law firm owner keep 150,000. This is why I am brutally honest with my clients. If you're going to make $150,000 as a law firm owner, you may as well be an associate in someone else's practice and avoid the stress of managing people, finding clients, and generally being a business owner that wears 10 hats. Instead, you could be a lawyer with one hat, billing. This leads to the next thing I tell attorneys, poke holes, ask questions, be curious, and be a skeptic. Don't get comparisonitis. Don't just see a new car or a fancy office and assume that that lawyer is killing it. You don't know their numbers, you don't know their expenses, and if you did, you'd realize, hey, I'm not doing so bad myself. Next question. Should I expand my practice area? I feel like I'm sending out so much business to other attorneys. I'm leaving money on the table. I hear this a lot, especially at the $500,000 level. You set yourself up in a niche area, say divorce. And now you're getting a lot of inquiries for prenups and child custody. You don't do that work, but you think, ah, I could bring on an associate and they could do this work for me. What happened was you met another attorney with an associate who tells you over beers that this is what he's doing. It's not a novel idea, but you're now entertaining bringing on an associate. See my answer to the above high volume model you're probably going to end up in high volume territory, not the big law model that you hope. This is a personal decision and it's not one I can make for you. I've listed out the financial benefits and the energy drains. It's not easy to find a good associate. Training takes time. They may learn everything from you and leave after two years. And you may be a horrible boss who doesn't know how to delegate and is a control freak. Be honest with yourself. Is this about the money or the appearance of having needed? Next question. What if I set up referral relationships with other attorneys when I get requests for the work? I send it out, but I also collect a finder's fee. First, you must ensure your state bar allows referral or finder fees. Some states don't allow it for various ethical reasons. If your state allows it, you can build these referral relationships with a finder's fee for your financial benefit. You're essentially acting as a business development or a rainmaker for those other attorneys. The downside to this is it may be difficult finding qualified attorneys who can do this work for you. They may not agree to your finder's fee without it cutting into their profitability. And you'll always think, 
I should hire an associate to do this work myself. I typically see the finders free from 20% to 33%. This is a normal range. I see this often with personal injury attorneys who pass a lot of business back and forth to each other. This won't make or break your law firm. It is nice to have though. Next question. What will be the biggest thing to help me get from 500,000 to 1 million? Key performance indicators. You need them to track your growth. And having these indicators will help you understand what numbers are destroying your profitability and what's helping and what you need to focus on. Key performance indicators go way beyond the number of hours billed. They are drilled down into each phase of your law firm, from client consultation to hiring, legal work, offboarding, referral, and lifetime client value. You aren't measuring KPIs in these areas and your head may be spinning. This is advanced law firm growth and you need to get comfortable with numbers. Don't be the lawyer who says, I hate numbers, or I didn't get an accounting degree for a reason. Don't be a smart ass. That's gonna be your downfall. Here are the steps to follow for key performance indicators. Number one, look at your law firm numbers. Number two, learn which ones are key. Not all numbers are key. Number three, then create goals around the key numbers. Number four, build a system to track your key numbers. If I tried to expand on these steps further, this would be a 700-page book. KPIs are unique for every firm and no two firms are the same. If you want professional to help you build out a KPI dashboard like the image below, then you can email me. Final question, what else, Nermeen? I love therapy and always recommend that you've got a good therapist on your side. A therapist could also double as a business coach, someone who can help you manage the imposter syndrome, the comparisonitis, the never good enoughness, someone who can ensure that you are working with the right clients and that you're not a miserable leader in your law firm. I know a lot of attorneys who go from the big law model to the high volume model to the specialized model. It's because as they get more experience, they have less desire to want a high volume, high client, high employee practice. They want to make enough money to support themselves and their lifestyle. And for most people in most cities, that number ends up being between 200,000 to 250,000. One million plus club. Welcome to the $1 million plus club. I have to tell you, it's a bit overrated. When you get here, you'll wonder, is that it? It doesn't feel better than your first 100,000. At this point, you know you can do hard things because you did hard things to get to a million. In a sense, this stage is a bit easier. Question one, I'm having a hard time with some of my associates and paralegals. What do I do? If you're at the 1 million level and employ a team of seven or more people, then a team SOS is right for you. A team SOS will include a few things depending on your specific needs. It should start with an overall assessment of your team to identify what the problems are. Is it that work isn't getting done? Or is it that you've got excessive turnover? Or is it something else? From the assessment, we'll learn what the actual cause of your headaches and then create a solution around it. 
Often, what you believe is the problem, as a law firm owner, is only a symptom. There may be something going on deeper. The solution will 100% of the time include a company playbook accompanied by a team training that reminds everyone of the business's value and how those are tangible. For example, if your company value is constant communication, then we make that tangible by ensuring all emails and calls are responded to within 24 hours. To drill down further, each department could have its established number of hours to respond to matters. For example, all support staff responds during business hours, attorneys in 24 hours, and the billing department in 48 hours. These team trainings will be crucial as your team grows and expands. Doing one-to-one -one performance reviews won't be enough. Regular, quarterly, or biannual team trainings outside the job function are essential for a smooth functioning team. This includes training and development of skills like conflict resolution, leadership training, decision-making, etc. Most companies fail to train these soft skills and assume that people will develop them independently. This is a faulty assumption. As the employer, it's your job to ensure that you provide these pieces of training to your team. If you rely on your team to generate 40% minimum of your revenue, and you want to keep generating that revenue, then you need team training. It'll be the oil that keeps the parts moving and everyone functioning. If you're a woman-owned law firm, I'm happy to talk about Team SOS. Email me if you're interested. Next question. Nermeen, what is excessive turnover? I feel like I've got a revolving door in here. Excessive turnover is anything less than two years. If your team isn't sticking around for two years at least, then that's excessive. If you have excessive turnover, then that's usually an indication of a toxic workplace. There could be several contributing factors here. It could be that the associates are cutthroat, that your paralegals and support staff are not effectively supporting them, and sadly, and almost always, it could be you as the law firm owner. I've worked in 10 or more different legal environments, and each time the business owner is in some way toxic. It could be yelling, it could be sky-high expectations, it could be ineffective communication. It could be lack of delegation. You might want to consider the team SOS to figure out the root cause of the problem and how to build a team that will stick with you. No, if you, if you pay people well, it still won't compensate for a toxic workplace. The market is competitive and they can find another job elsewhere where it's more tolerable. Take a hard look at yourself. Are you the problem? Next question. Is this where I should consider hiring a part-time CFO for my law firm? A part-time CFO is immensely helpful because they can run numbers for you, tell you what your loss leaders are, help you identify the strongest players on your team, what expenses to incur, etc. The important thing here is they hold you accountable. As a law firm owner and as a lawyer, you will do everything to ignore your numbers. 
Having someone who is responsible for running your numbers and keeping you accountable helps you manage your profitability and stay at the $1 million plus level. If you have a $1 million practice, then this is also where profitability takes the biggest hit. This means you might be making a million, but you're keeping less because you're hiring more or taking on other expenses. You want to keep someone who has an eye on the prize, your profitability and what you get to keep at the end of the day. Next question. What about key performance indicators, KPIs? This is an excellent stage to introduce KPIs to every major department, not only the attorneys. Remember I said KPIs cover the span of your business process and aren't limited to billable hours. It's much bigger than that. Your associates should have KPIs. Please don't be lame and only have billable hours or time to close a case. Your support staff should have KPIs. Your billing and invoicing department should have KPIs. You and your CFO should have the firm's financial KPIs. Your marketing team should have KPIs, like 10 new potential client phone calls weekly to three new paying clients weekly. Next question. Marketing, schmarketing. I've done everything thus far to get me here. Why should I change up my strategy? You should continually evaluate your marketing strategy to ensure it effectively brings in clients. If you're spending the money, you should be making money. For each dollar you spend on marketing, you should generate $1. If it's not, then cut it out. Either get a new team for fresh eyes or invest in a different marketing channel. Remember not to exceed the 15% rule. This is also an excellent financial level to consider doing more PR-related activity. Being published and seen as a thought leader, writing articles in your field of law, and speaking on these matters. PR goes a long way with credibility. And as a law firm owner, you may have exhausted your previous marketing channels like SEO. Introducing something new to the equation like PR will bring new clients who overlooked your firm before. Keep in mind that it's not a silver bullet, it's a strategy and it takes time, at least six months. Next question. What else do you recommend, Nermeen? What will help me keep growing? I recommend having a leadership team around you and this should include you plus two to three other people. No more because that can be too many opinions and then you're in a mess of no movement forward. If you think about Fortune 500 companies, they have a CEO, a CFO, a COO, etc. You want to think of your leadership team the same. They are the leaders in various departments of your business. This could include your office manager who manages the support staff and paralegals. This could also include someone from your financial team. Meet each month and talk about the problems before they become unmanageable. Tame the fire before it burns through the entire kitchen and house. If you want, you can include your marketing team every other month in your leadership meetings. The point is to involve other people in the responsibility of steering the ship. You're still the captain, but you need people to help speed up the engine and look out for icebergs. Closing note from Nermeen. Thank you for taking the time to read through this book. It was a pleasure for me to put this together for you. Please keep referencing back to it as you grow. 
Don't feel like you must make a million dollars from your law practice to be a millionaire or to be considered successful by your peers or family. There are many ways to become a millionaire and being a millionaire law firm owner is not the only way to get to a seven figure net worth. There are many ways to be a successful law firm owner. And in my experience, it really has to do with revenue or profits. Rather, it focuses on the things you specifically value, working with a handful of clients or Fridays off, showing up to every soccer game or sailing around for a month each year or 503s for the kids and grandkids. I recommend you get to the $250,000 to $300,000 level of profitability. Take $150,000 and live off of it. Take the remaining $100,000 or $150,000 and put it into other business opportunities after setting up a savings account and having an IRA and a 401k. You can get to a million that way and be diversified. Like, for example, 100% of your revenue doesn't come from one source, your law firm. Additional resources for you. Every week I release a podcast and YouTube video. You can catch that here on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts. I also wrote a book, How to Be Type A Without Being an A-Hole. You can read it or listen to it on Amazon. Services I offer. Get better clients, figure out your rates and fees, automate your law firm, monthly soundboarding sessions, Team SOS, KPI Builder, and Lawyer Template Club. Client Intake Form. Every law firm owner should have an intake form. Solo, small firm, big firm, personal injury firm, bankruptcy firm, new firm, 20-year-old firm. Every single law firm. Don't just sit with a blank notepad during client consults. That's asking for a disaster in your intake process and a system for tracking client leads. Below is a standard intake form. You're not paying for me one-to-one consulting. Thus, it's not customized to you and your practice area. The vital thing to remember is that it is intended to interrupt your thought pattern of, I need more clients. By asking, is this the right client for me? You're asking yourself, can they afford me? Are they going to give me nightmares? Will they email me 7,000 times? Sample intake form. Question one, client's name. Question two, client contact information. Client three, client heard about me from. Question four, what is the client's timeline for this? How ready are they to move forward right now? Question five, client's legal matter details. Question six, is the client's matter something my firm can profit from? Note, this question can supercharge your growth. Don't underestimate it. For example, if the client needs a child custody modification, but you know that child custody work is mentally draining for you and requires tons of admin support, like higher labor costs for your law firm, and you lose money on this type of work, then a question like this can help you evaluate whether this is a client you should really work with. Question seven, is this client the right fit for me? 
Can they afford me? Are they kind? Is this a bleeding heart case for me? Note, look out for red flags. Showed up late, keeps putting you on hold, is asking you constantly, how much will this cost? Cuts you off when you speak, takes other phone calls during the meeting, etc. Financial trigger points. Accountant. Get an accountant as soon as you open your law firm. Don't do your own taxes. You're not the expert here. Admin. At or after 100,000 in gross revenue. Associate. At or after 250,000 in gross revenue. Bookkeeper. Get a bookkeeper as soon as you open your law firm. Don't learn QuickBooks. It's not worth the time. And trust me, you will bang your head against the wall if you do your own bookkeeping. The learning curve is steep and not worth it. Business model re-evaluation at or after 500,000. Coach at or after 100,000. Consultant at or after 100,000. CFO at or after 1 million. Intake form, always the second you open your law firm. IRA or other retirement fund, as soon as you open your practice. KPIs at or after 500,000 savings account as soon as you open your practice and at the same time as setting up your IOLTA account. Every damn month list. This list outlines the questions you should ask yourself every damn month about your law firm. It's a high level overview designed to help you get out of the weeds of your practice and stop firefighting. It's supposed to be completed, surprise, surprise, every day a month. My recommendation is to complete it between the 13th and the 18th of every month. It is forward-looking to the next month and captures important information from the previous month. Sample every damn month list. Question one, how much revenue did I generate last month and did I meet my bare ass minimum? Question two, how much were my expenses last month? Question three, were any expenses unusual? Question four, who was my top client last month? Question five, how many client consults did I have last month? You should create a monthly client consult goal number. Question six, are there any potential clients I need to follow up with from the previous months? Question seven, what did I spend in marketing last month? Question eight, which marketing channels sent me clients last month? Question nine, are there referral partners or other attorneys I should consider getting lunch or coffee with? Question 10, am I on track to meet my bare ass minimum for this month? Question 11, are there clients giving me the heebie-jeebies? Do I need to fire them? Question 12, are there tasks I'm avoiding doing right now? Why? Question 13, is there something I'm lying to myself about in my practice? Question 14, is there work I'm enjoying doing slash work I hate doing? Billable hourly rate soapbox and motion for summary judgment on the billable hourly rate. To truly understand the billable hour and its myriad of problems, let's start with a brief history lesson on the billable hour. History of the billable hour. 
Historically, lawyers charge their rates based on fixed fees. Bar associations published minimum fee schedules for lawyers and law firms to follow. In 1975, the Supreme Court ruled in Goldfarb versus Virginia State that minimum fee schedules violated antitrust law. As litigation became more complex with additional discovery rules and stages of litigation, the fixed fee model started to become unpredictable. As new regulatory compliance measures were required in multiple industries, including healthcare and financial markets, the fixed fee model became unpredictable. Reginald Herber Smith, Hale and Doors, managing partner from 1919 to 1956 is credited with creating the billable hour. The billable hour became a way for lawyers to make more money. The billable hour became a way for clients to get transparency in what lawyers were doing. The key takeaway is that a fixed fee is not the new way of billing. Technically, the billable hour is new. Fixed fee is returning as the original billing method, but we're going to improve on it. Over the years, almost every major law firm has been hit with a fine or abuses to the billable hour. Inflating billable hours became familiar for many big law firms. And the reality started to hit many law firm associates. To build 2,000 hours each year, you had to work 2,400 hours. So, time worked is not one-to-one -one with time built. The American Bar Association attempted to remediate the problems with the billable hour and published formal opinion 93-379, which went back to fixed fees as an alternative fee arrangement. Now that you understand the history of the billable hour, let's discuss the problems with the billable hour. Problems with the billable hour. Number one, it ties your experience and expertise to time spent. If you spent 10 years specializing in trade secret violations and it takes you two hours to solve your client's problem, that two hours cannot capture your 10 years of experience no matter how high your billable hourly rate is. This keeps you tied to the clock to meet your financial requirements. Here's a reminder of everything you went through to become a lawyer. Undergrad, law school, bar exam, character and fitness, you worked for another firm or government office to get experience, then you opened your practice. The cost, at least $300,000. The time investment, eight years. If you prefer visuals, take a look below at what the billable hour doesn't capture. The time you spend helping your client versus the time you spend getting experience over the years. Number two, the billable hour does not support small and solo law firm growth. It's known that small and solo law firm owners do not only have to do the legal work, they also have several business hats that they have to wear, including business development, bookkeeping, invoicing, hiring, payroll, client satisfaction, 
About 20 to 30% each month is spent on non-billable tasks that an owner cannot avoid. And to hire out for each of these tasks would be burdensome and sometimes not worth the cost. If you tie yourself to billable hours in your small firm, you're losing out on 20 to 30% revenue because you can't bill from nine to five. The billable hour model benefits big law, not small law or solo law. In a big firm, you have big client and a big team billing versus a small firm where you have a small client and a small team that's billing. Number three, the billable hour doesn't put the client first. Lawyers will bill the number of hours necessary to complete a task without considering the client's budget. The billable hour also doesn't tell the client how much something will cost before they agree to do it. A typical attorney-client consult looks some version of this. Client, I want to get divorced. How much will it cost me? Attorney, it depends on how much time it takes. Client, how much time will it take you? Attorney, I don't know until I start gathering documents and asking questions. Client, so I don't know how much it'll cost me and I won't know the cost until I pay you to review the initial documents and ask initial questions. So I have to pay you first to find out how much I'll have to pay you for the entirety of the process? Attorney, yes, basically. Client, wow, what a scam. No thanks, I'll stay married. At least I know how much that's costing me. Attorney, what an idiot, stay married. I need to yell at my SEO team for bringing in clients like this. Rinse, repeat. Ask yourself, how many clients have I lost because I couldn't tell the client how much something would cost? Number four, harsh fact about billing by the hour. Most law firms and law firm owners I speak to don't track their time. They guesstimate or forget to use their billing tool, or look at how many hours they build, realize that the client won't pay for that many hours, and readjust it either before invoicing or after when the client complains. Better billing structures for law firms. The billable hourly rate isn't the only billing model for law firms. There are others that are common and have been industry practice for decades. Flat fee model, estate planning attorneys, and trademark attorneys. The contingency model, PI attorneys, plaintiff's employment attorneys, and class action attorneys. Percentage-based, entertainment attorneys. In conclusion, the billable model is a waste of time and financial revenue for your firm. Stop defending the billable hourly rate. Stop seeing it as the only billing structure for law firms. There are others as referenced above, and these other practice areas have been thriving in the non-billable world. If after reading this, you are convinced that you are done with the billable hour, then take a look at the service that I offer called Fixed Fee Freedom. On a personal note, when I practiced law, 
I was a compliance expert with CFTC and NFA experience in a post-Dodd-Frank world. I knew the regulations, I knew where to find the answers, I knew who to contact within the regulating bodies to avoid trouble. I started my practice in 2013 after burning out from corporate life and finding it unbelievably exhausting and draining. I built my practice area around my expertise, CFTC and NFA compliance. It was niche and I knew enough businesses who needed my services. When I started working, I was billing by the hour to hedge funds in Manhattan. I traveled to their office, completed compliance audits, answered questions about various compliance matters, and allowed these companies to remain in compliance and business in the United States. The value I brought to those clients was not and could not be captured by a six-hour compliance and two-hour audit meeting. If you think I should have billed more hours, you're wrong because it took the time it took, period. I'm not false billing to make more. The value of my service allowed them to stay in business, be compliant, and avoid hefty six and seven figure fines. It allowed their reputation to be smear fee free and created investor confidence and trust. How can a billable hourly rate, no matter how high it is, truly capture my value? It couldn't, but I didn't know that then. And I didn't have a mentor or a Nermeen telling me that billing by the hour couldn't measure the value of my work. I left so much money on the table when I billed by the hour. When I stepped into consulting, I continued billing by the hour. You know the saying, you know the saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I was an old dog coming out of practicing law on Wall Street where everything is billed by the hour in six-minute increments. Billing by the hour felt comfortable. It was familiar, but every month I was stressed. I needed to bill X number of hours to pay my rent, pay for my car, eat, ordinary living expenses. I had feast and famine months, and in short, it sucked. At the time, I was listening to several podcasts and subscribed to newsletters on how to switch from hourly rates to fixed fees and monthly retainers. Once I saw it was possible, I took a stab at it and created a fixed fee structure in 2018, six months after starting my consulting business. Since then, I've had a fixed fee model, giving me the financial wealth and freedom I only heard others talking about, and not something I thought I could personally have. I'm not tied to a clock. If I travel for three weeks at a time, I'm not worried about not meeting my financial bare ass minimum each month. I speak from my experience when I say, fixed fees are the way to go. I have helped many lawyers transition to fixed fee and ditch the billable hour. I know it's scary and unfamiliar, but I promise you, you're not alone. I'm here to help you not feel like you're leaving money on the table. I'm here to help you be wildly successful with fixed fees. Dumb questions law firm owners ask me. You know how they say no question is dumb? They lied. That's a sugar-coated answer, and you know that. There are dumb questions, 
Here are some dumb questions that law firm owners ask me from time to time. Okay, fine, all the time. Question one, how do I bill more hours? Wrong question. What you really want to know is how do I make more money? You have to stop tying your billable hours to how much you make. Why is, that, why is it that personal injury lawyers make so much? Because they don't tie their time to what they earn on a case. Step into the same thinking. You make more by charging more money, fixed fees, and getting better clients who can afford said fixed fees. Simple. By the way, I've never met an attorney who wanted to make more money by billing more. Have you met this alien? Next question. How do I become a billboard attorney? Dumb question. You don't want to be a billboard attorney. You want something that does the work of bringing new clients to you, something that seems as stupid easy as billboard. Honestly, you don't want to be a billboard attorney. Their operating costs are insanely high, billboards are not cheap, and you need a team of intake specialists working 24-7, waiting around to get calls, then sifting through all the trash to find one high-value case. The conversion odds are terrible, but they're built on volume, high volume of calls, low rate of case accept acceptance. Next question, how do I increase my rates? Dumb question, you know how to increase your rates. You literally tell your clients, hey, my rate is increasing to X. What you really want to know is what do I increase my rates to? But what you really, really want to know is how do I justify my increased rate to new clients without scaring them away? The answer is this, stop talking about your rate. Seriously, focus on their problem and how you are going to solve that problem. You want to learn how to redirect conversations to problem solving and not cost. Conversation one, the wrong way. Don't do it this way. Client, how much do you charge? Attorney, dollars X. Client, wow, there's no way I can afford that. Hangs up. Attorney, expletive, expletive, expletive. Conversation two, the right way. Do it this way. Client, how much do you charge? Attorney, my rate is X, and this is not about how much I charge, but how quickly we can resolve this for you. I can see this has been keeping you up at night. Here's the first step. Describe the first step. And here's why I know my team and I can help you. It doesn't matter who you hire, you will spend some money. I want you to sleep better knowing you've hired someone who's got your back in this. You get to choose the conversation you have with potential clients. Next question. How do I take time off without worrying my office will fall apart? Dumb question. There's no way to guarantee you won't be stressed or worried when you walk away from the office to go on vacation or even to the dentist. It's the hard truth of law firm ownership. It's like saying, how will I not worry about my child when they're in school or college or fill in the blank? You're always going to worry. You're always going to be stressed. Your law firm is your baby. 
or another one of your children. It's not so much about eliminating the stress and the worry altogether. It's about accepting that yes, things will go wrong while you're away and it's okay if they do. I know that sounds crazy, but let me give you an example. Target and Walmart cannot 100% eliminate damaged items during returns or theft from the store. They understand that 20% of their business operating expense and take it as a tax cut annually. They don't try actively bringing that 20% down to 2%. It's not worth it because so much of it is out of their control. What they can control are their prices and their margins. They make up for this by charging us, the consumer and buyer, more, and by paying less, negotiating bulk deals with their supplier. You need to accept that you cannot control how your staff answers phone calls while you're away, or if a client will be irrational, that you are getting a root canal and unavailable to speak and fires you. That's your 20%. Let that shit go. You will never get it to 2%. Now focus on what you can control. Can you only check your email once for five minutes while you're away? Can you make phone calls to check into your office for 15 minutes and enjoy your beach time? Can you increase your rates to work with clients who respect your time? Can you hire better staff who are experienced legal professionals and provide them with sales training? Get the gist? Next question. How do I hire a fill in the blank? Dumb question. Also, please stop outsourcing everything. If you outsource everything, you're going to have $0 left for yourself. I can't hear the inane argument, well, I bill at 300 an hour and a paralegal costs me $50 an hour. I should outsource my work to the paralegal so I can focus on billing more. No, the underlying assumption here is you have more work to bill. Odds are you don't, trust me. 99% of the time, you don't. The hard truth is you're not productive and you're not working with the right clients. Start charging $400 an hour, work with less clients, don't worry about the paralegal, and make the same amount of money while keeping more profit. This is how you make more and work less in the 21st century. Next question. How do do I know if I'm ready to hire an expert, someone like a coach, consultant, or CFO? Here's how you know. The clouds will part and angels will sing the name and phone number of the expert. Just kidding, that will not happen. And this isn't a dumb question, but I didn't have any other place to put this question to me. When you're ready to stop finding answers on Google, you're ready to stop asking your lawyer friends for advice, You're done with Facebook group answers about law firms. That's how you know you're ready to hire an expert. If you're not ready to stop doing that, then you're not ready for an expert. An expert is someone who is going to dig into the details of your law firm, your skill set, your practice area, and create a custom solution for you and only you. You will not get an out of the box, one size fits all solution. That's what Google is for. Coaches, consultants, 
and CFOs and other experts typically provide one-to-one -one meetings, phone calls, in-person sessions. They are not in a group setting. They are usually live and not asynchronous. Next question. How come no one wants to work anymore? People want to get paid more and barely work. Back in my day, do you know what I had to do? Listen, no one is going to care about your law firm as much as you do. No one ever will. That old grandma, grandpa rant of yours needs to be retired because we are all tired of hearing it. This is your business. You're going to care about it 1000% more than anyone else. No matter what you pay them, no matter how long they have been an employee of yours, no matter how long they've been practicing, no matter how well they interviewed, no matter how highly they were recommended. Please stop posting on Facebook photos of toner on the office floor that everyone else walks past, but you put away. You should. It's your law firm. Please stop tweeting the conversation between you and your millennial-aged employees. Please stop expecting people to care. It's not their job. It's yours. Next question. How do I retire at 50, 40 with a yacht? Being a lawyer or law firm owner isn't about that yacht life, and if that's what you want, then bless your heart. I suggest you find one of those law firm management programs because you're not the kind of client I work with. My clients love the law. They honor it. They respect it. They are passionate about it. They want to help people. They see law as a means to do that. They fight for their clients. No, they're not perfect, but they have a beautiful respect of the law and they know it's not a lottery ticket. Rather, it's a career that they want to spend decades in, learning it, growing with it, and growing in it. If this sounds like you, I hope we can work together one day. Glossary, 10% rule. If you hire a consultant or coach, or against my advice, join a law firm management program, please ensure it costs you no more than 10% of your revenue. 15% rule. If you invest in marketing, then make sure that your marketing budget does not exceed 15% of your revenue. Business development. What you do to generate new clients or additional work for your business. This may include various marketing channels and networking activities. Business development is the end goal of marketing. You market so that you have a business to develop and clients to charge, who then pay you. Coach. Generally, someone who can help you grow your law firm. A coach is someone who is going to ask you questions about what you want to do. Consultant. Generally, someone who can help you grow your law firm. A consultant is someone who tells you what to do. Contractor. Not an employee, not someone from Fiverr. You want your contractor to be highly specialized in their area. You want them to be the best at what they do the best email copywriter, the best appointment setter. You will pay more, but it will give you tremendous peace of mind. Healthy experiment. I believe you should always experiment in your business, but don't experiment too much or have more than one experiment going at once. You won't know which experiment caused the success. Here's the general rule. Experiment in no more than 10% of your business. For example, if you're going to experiment with TikTok, then make sure it's the only experiment you have going on at the time. Don't experiment with TikTok, a new phone answering company, and a new invoicing platform. 
That's too much experimenting at once, and it could cause mess in your practice. One experiment at a time. Expert. An expert is someone who is the person known for doing what they do. Think Michael Jordan, Simone Biles. An expert can be a coach or a consultant. The expert is going to help you solve problems, unlike a contractor or employee who is hired to execute tasks. The expert is a problem solver, not a checklist person. Marketing pizza pie. This is my analogy to help you understand successful law firm marketing. A pizza pie has many slices and so should your marketing strategy. It can't only be networking or only SEO. It needs to be a 50-50 split between digital and traditional marketing. This way, if one slice slash piece of your marketing stops generating leads for you, you've still got several other pieces of the pie slash marketing channels to bring in clients. Salespeople call this keeping your pipeline full. Net, AKA net profit. This is what's left in your business after you've paid rent, credit card fees, employees, contractors, all of your other expenses. This is one of the most important numbers to track. We want to make you profitable and increase your profitability, not your revenue number. You can increase your profitability and make more money without increasing how much you work or your gross revenue. It may sound counterintuitive, but it's not. For example, increased profitability can happen when a business lays off people, reduced expenses, increased profitability, and work the same amount. Pomodoro, a technique to help you stay in the zone and not be distracted by emails or phone calls. You work in 25 minute increments and take a five minute break. You can make this 45 minutes if that's better for your flow or if you're working on a brief. Here's a link to a timer I use frequently I keep it on when I need to get shit done, especially when I wrote this guide. Rainmaking, the traditional idea of a lawyer, that they are the relationship developer and the one who brings the business into the law firm. I think this is only one of many law firm models. And if rainmaking isn't right for you, consider the specialized model or even high volume. See alternative revenue models in the 500,000 to 1 million revenue section. Revenue, AKA gross revenue. This is the top line number or the amount your firm makes before expenses. If you make 200,000 and then pay staff, tech, taxes, etc., then this number is your revenue or gross revenue. It is a vanity metric. Say you have a $500,000 business, but you pay your team plus other expenses and you're left with 150,000. Then you have a $150,000 business. Successful. This is a personal definition and there is no singular definition of success. With the law firm owners I've worked with, their definition of success varies across a spectrum. For some, it's being a full-time parent, part-time lawyer. For others, it's 10 office locations with 100 employees. For others, it's being on the cutting edge of the law. And for some, it's to send their kids to college without having to pay for a dime. What's yours? Legal, if you purchase this, do not steal my intellectual property. Do not forward this document to anyone else. Do not take screenshots and share them with another attorney. Also, if you are a fellow consultant or strategist or coach or advisor, or have a program for lawyers or law firm owners, do not use this advice for your clients. It's asking for bad karma. This is my strategic advice, not yours. 
I don't want to unleash my team of IP lawyers on you. Thank you for respecting my intellectual property and years of hard-earned experience and expertise. Attorneys and lawyer friends, if you know someone is stealing my IP, be a friend and good human and let me know by emailing me and I promise you'll collect good karma points. Also, my lawyers told me to include a formal terms of use, so here it is below. Terms of use. By purchasing this, you agree. You hereby agree to the following terms of use. We are a wildly successful LLC company, owns and retains all content in this zero to $1 million how to become a wildly successful law firm guide, guide, along with its trademarks and copyrights. Except for any information that is in the public domain, you are not authorized to reproduce, transmit, or distribute the property proprietary information in this guide. Your purchase of this guide grants you a single-use, non-exclusive, non-transferable, revocable access to this PDF document or this audio. You will not use the company's intellectual property in any way, which includes republishing any text, image, design, participate in the transfer or sale, creative derivative works, or in any way exploit any of the content, in whole or in part, found in the guide. The company has spent a great deal of time and money creating the intellectual property, and in order to maintain the integrity of it, the company does not allow any third-party use. By downloading, printing, or otherwise using this guide for personal or business use, you in no way assume any ownership rights of the guide or the content in this guide. It belongs to the company. Any reproduction or unauthorized use of any materials found in the guide shall constitute infringement. Your purchase of this guide does not result in a transfer of any intellectual property to you or your associates, and as a condition of purchasing this guide, you agree to observe and abide by all copyright and other intellectual property protection. You agree that you do you agree that you do not acquire any ownership in any protected content. The company does not grant you any licenses, express or implied to the intellectual property of the company. You agree that if you infringe on the company's intellectual property, you must immediately destroy any copies you have of this guide. You shall not be entitled to a refund. Thank you for listening in, lawyers. If you need any support, you can always reach out to me via email. Thank you, and good luck with becoming a wildly successful law firm. I believe you, and I'm in your corner. Nermeen Jasani.